So I'm going to be starting another uh, series, and a lot of series this this year, which is a good thing. Um, this is a series that's happening right across right across Family Church as well, as others have done. And, and we talk about the, the Holy Spirit um, for next for next three weeks. You know, at the end of May is um, what we call uh, Pentecost, um, and as as a Pentecostal church and as Pentecostal Christians, I hope you know the reality of Acts chapter two and what happens in in Acts two, and and the day of uh, a day of Pentecost, and that's kind of like commemorated or remembered, particularly at the Sunday at the end of May, often called Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. So we're talking about this leading, kind of leading up to a certain two weeks, uh, two weeks time, Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit is incredibly important, amen. And and I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of the Trinity, sometimes we don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit or what to make of the Holy Spirit, and. You know, the Trinity in itself is quite mysterious, isn't it? In in how does that kind of how does that kind of work? <laughs> and if you kind of start trying to, I'm, I'm quite an analytical thinker, it's just the way I'm wired, and people are wired in all sorts of different ways. But the way I'm wired is quite an analytical, logical type thinker. Um, and if you start trying to analyse it too much, you just kind of like you <laughs> kind of more lost than when when you first started in some ways. Because, um, but you know, so the Trinity is quite mysterious, isn't it? But to be, but to be honest, if it was, if if God was fully comprehensible, would He even be God? That's that's my response to that. Yeah. We kind of have to be okay with the fact that that some things are a bit mysterious. And how how does that work in the Godhead with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how they all in, interact? And but but they're still but they're still one. You know, we know that reality. Worship the Lord your God and Him Him only. There's only there's only there's only one God. So how does how does how does that all work? And how do they all interact? And and how do they submit to each other? And, and just just work in operation with each other, but we know it's a biblical principle, and it's you know it's, it's so clear throughout throughout Scripture, Amen. And you only see that particularly the the baptism of Jesus, and you know, don't you when when the Father speaks from heaven, saying, "This is my Son," and well, this, this is not on screen, digressing a little bit, but this is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him like a dove, and Jesus Himself said to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and and the Holy Spirit. So kind of how they all interact, and that could be another message in, in itself. You know, and some of these things are just, just difficult to even wrap our heads around. But like I said, if God was fully comprehensible, would he even be God? You know, we, we, are, we are the created, aren't we? We're the created people. Who are we to say how the creator does, does, does his work and, and how he operates? And of course, God reveals things to us, but, but by nature, who God is, is, is not always going to be fully comprehensible. Just his majesty and his awesomeness and his power and, and how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all work together. and It's amazing. No? But I'm saying all that to say, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit, we're not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. We're kind of okay with God being our Father and we understand the principle of a Father and whether your, you know, your natural Father was a good experience or a bad experience. We, we can, you know, even if you've had a bad experience as a nat- with a natural Father, you know, that makes you, you still from that place understand what a good Father would look like, right? So whatever your natural experience is, we understand you know, that God is, God is our Father and he loves us and we understand Jesus and, and Jesus is you know, you're fully God and fully human. Described the Son of God and, and Jesus described himself. His, Jesus' own description, favorite description was the Son of Man and Jesus described himself. So he's the Son of God and, and the Son of Man at, at the same time and, you know, and we get that and he, he was a human and walked on the earth and 
But the Holy Spirit always, always can often seem a bit mysterious. And as I mentioned from the front before, it can almost be like, kind of like the strange, the strange uncle. Everyone's got a weird uncle in their family. You don't need to start thinking about your weird uncles. <laughs> everyone's got one. I'm not going to name any of my weird uncles. But everyone's got one. It's kind of like, they're kind of like this person you don't necessarily really want to uh, really mention. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit, we can treat him about a bit like that. And that's not right, obviously. Treat him in a way. We have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does and that God is the Father and he's fully, God, fully the Father and fully the Son and fully the Holy Spirit. And they all make up the Godhead. Amen? So, we're going to, this three-week series is called By My Spirit. So we look at the indwelling presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. This morning we're going to look at being filled with the Spirit. What does it actually mean that we're filled with the Spirit? Next we look at being led and empowered by the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in us. And then two weeks' time um, on Pentecost, talk about you know, being just the, just the filling and, and equipping of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he desires to do through us. Amen. Praise God. So today we're looking at filled with the Spirit. You know, as people, uh, as Christians, as people, as we are people, but we are Christians, um, we are, we are spirit-filled, spirit-filled Christians. Amen? Now, 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 I don't believe there are two, just to clarify this, I don't believe there are two different types of Christians. I think that's a misunderstanding, if anyone does think that. There aren't two different types of Christians. There aren't categories of, there aren't categories of Christians. Either you're a Christian or you aren't a Christian. And there aren't some Christians who aren't. Now, there may be some who have a slightly different view of the Holy Spirit or how that work of the Holy Spirit but it's really important to say there aren't spiritual Christians some who are spirit-filled and some who aren't spirit-filled I think scripture just makes that clear that couldn't that couldn't be a reality because it says when you become a uh, when you become a believer the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you amen everyone agree right it's the same with the principle of being a born-again Christian I don't believe there are born-again Christians and Christians who aren't born again now I totally accept this is my observation as a pastor there may be some people who who don't describe themselves as born-again Christians because sometimes it can be a bit of a label, sometimes a derogatory label in some, some sectors. Um, but the reality is all believers have been born again. Does that make sense? So whether they use that terminology, it's still a reality. Okay? So there aren't two different categories of Christians. It's really, really important to say that. Okay? Not two different categories of Christians. Either someone is saved or they aren't saved. Either they're on their way to heaven or, or, or they aren't. Amen? You know, you can't be, can't be half saved. Everyone agree, right? That's, that's, that's a reality. So whatever people's kind of like church background, that's still, that's still truth. Amen. Praise God. So we're spiritual Christians. So what do we what do we mean by that? You know, we're a spiritual people. So that means we literally have God's Spirit living within us. Is what Scripture teaches. Now again, you kind of think, well, how in the world does that work? <laughs> God's Spirit dwells within us. So again, it's a bit mysterious, maybe. But we just have to be okay with that with that reality. This is what God does, even if we can't, you know, practically work out in our heads exactly how that works. You know, the Spirit of God is God's own Spirit. I had the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, and the Holy Spirit has always been in, in operation, although we see the big outpouring, in, as was recorded in Acts 2. Um, the Holy Spirit has always been in operation, amen? It's always been there, it's always been present, in, even right in creation. The Holy Spirit was there. Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2, the first verses in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens, <coughs> excuse me, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right at creation, yeah, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit was there. Amen. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of God. There are five main attributes of God. I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's important to give this kind of 
foundational teaching. Okay. Now, there's five main attributes of God, the Godhead, the, the God the Father, God, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have these attributes. So firstly, they're, they're omnipresent. They can be everywhere at once. Okay? They're, they're, they're omnipotent, which means they're all-powerful. Omniscient, which means they're all-knowing. They're immutable, which means they never change. And they're eternal, which means they always have been and always will be. We all know that, right? God is, God is, not, God is not created. You know, when, when atheists try and trip Christians up, they're like, yeah, but who, who created God? It's one of their big questions, isn't it? Well, who created God? Well, my, my response to that, there's a total misunderstanding there of what we're even claiming God to be. To be fair, even Jews and Muslims don't believe that, that God was created. But for us as, for us as believers, for us, for us as believers, we know that God has always been and, and always will be. If he didn't have a creator, well, that, that cre- then if, if God himself, who we worship, had a creator, well, then there'd be, therefore be a higher God, wouldn't there, by definition? And who created that higher God? <laughs> you could just keep on um, you know, going down that kind of rabbit hole, so to speak. But we know that God has always been, and it doesn't trip us up in any way as believers. God has always been and always will be. He's, he's a supernatural being. You know, atheists will try and trip us up because they're like, yeah, but that doesn't fit within my understanding of natural law and time and space. Yeah, but, but again, it's a misunderstanding. God is totally outside of time and space. He's not governed by any natural laws. And that's what, literally what the term supernatural means, right? It's natural law, isn't it? You know, if I walk towards that wall, I can't walk through that wall. I'm not, I'm not going to attempt it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you want me to do it? <laughs> so, so I can have a massive bruise. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, we couldn't do it, right? But God, by definition, is, is supernatural. He can be everywhere at once. He can walk through walls. In fact, Jesus actually does, doesn't he? After his resurrected body, he just, appear, he just appears in the room. And everyone's like freaked out thinking there's a ghost. I don't know. Because Jesus walks on the walls, you know, those types of things. It tells, tells us the, the storm to be calmed and, and the weather obeys him. Because he's operating totally in the supernatural, right? He's not governed by natural laws. So, so if an atheist, this is just a little digression, but if atheist ever tries to ask those questions, I said, these are great responses stuff. But God, by definition, is supernatural. He's not governed by natural laws. He, he, he's outside of time and space. In fact, God created time and space. He's not, he's not governed by it. It was him who put them into place. Amen? That's the reality. Anyway, we're digressing, but it's all good stuff. So even, even at the beginning, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit was there. And throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is mentioned um, over and over again. The Holy Spirit was present in the, in the temple and, and the tabernacle and would often come upon people for specific purposes. This, uh, Samson would be a good example of that, but there's loads that we could pick. Judges 13, verses 24 to 25, says this, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. It grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. So, so even in the Old Testament, you know, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It's mentioned at creation. It's mentioned about coming upon people in the Old Testament and empowering them and equipping them. Will someone open that for me because I can't do it one-handed. Thank you. So the Holy Spirit's always been there. Amen? Praise God. But the plan of God had always been, thank you. So the plan of God had always been for the Holy Spirit to live in our redeemed lives. Of course, redemption and the cross had always been part of God's plan. Amen. You know, people, you know, when when Adam and Eve kind of you know messed up, screwed up, however you want to use whatever terminology you want to use, um, when they messed up, you know, God was not shocked by that. God did not think, 
you know, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit didn't have a little conflab, like, oh, what are we going to do now? They've messed up. <laughs> we didn't see that coming. You know, they're omniscient, right? They're, they're all-knowing, right? They're outside of time and space. They can see the end from the beginning. Okay, they weren't confused by that or surprised by that because God's, God's plan of redemption and sending Jesus had always been there, amen? And it was not a plan B. It was God's, it was God's master plan, amen, for redemption of, of the human race, Amen? And, and for the Holy Spirit to come and live in our redeemed lives has always been part of that plan as well. Amen? So God's plan was always to dwell in mankind or men and women. You know, not, not, to, not to dwell in buildings, which would often be talked about in the Old Testament times. You know, but before the Holy Spirit could dwell in people, in men or women, children, we had to be made holy before we could live in them. Now, the Holy Spirit could not dwell in an unholy place. So that makes sense, right? The Holy Spirit could not live in something that's, that, that's unholy. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would often come upon people in power, but didn't dwell in them in the same way that it does now, because obviously redemption hadn't happened, um, obviously, until the, until the cross. Holy could not dwell in the unholy. It's what Jesus did at the cross that has made what was unholy us. It's made us holy to God so he could, he could move in and come and live within us, as, as had always been his plan all along. Amen? That's the reality. And praise God for that. What, a, what an amazing save. We sang about that this morning. What an amazing saviour uh, that, that we have. He's so, so worthy of our praise and, and adoration. We sang about the cross this morning. It's what's made, made us holy. Now, you are holy in the sight of God. If you feel, and I want to just encourage you in this this morning, if you feel unholy, and of course there has to be an outworking of that in our lives. I to, of course, I totally accept that as a pastor. But, the, but if you feel unholy this morning, what I want to say to you this morning, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. I'm dead serious. Because, because, you've been made, if you, because that comes from a place maybe of not understanding what Jesus has done on the cross. He has made you holy. You can't even be more holy than you are right now because it's because of the cross. Yeah. Amen? So yes, there needs to be an outworking of our lives, out of our understanding and revelation of what it means that we're holy in the sight of God. Of course, of course that's true. But the reality is you can't make yourself holy. If you're trying to make yourself holy, stop, there's my pastoral advice. <laughs> stop trying to do it. Because otherwise, because what you're trying to do is basically do God's work. Yeah. Or, or, or saying, well, the cross wasn't enough. I've got, I've got to try a bit harder. I've got to do a bit more. No, the cross was enough. Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. It is over. It's completed. Redemption, redemption was complete. It was a full work. Amen? So because of what Jesus did at the cross, it's made us that what was unholy. You know, the Bible says that our, our sins are like, like filthy rags. Or even our righteousness would be like filthy rags. You can imagine what our sins could be described as. No, but the Bible says we've been washed white than snow. Amen? We've been made holy in his sight. So the Holy Spirit can now dwell within us. So this was an eternal plan. It wasn't a last-minute plan. It wasn't a last-minute panic by God. What do I do now? <laughs> what do we do now? This is God's eternal plan for, us to, for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. You know, many of the prophets, they, they foretold it. Here's, here's a couple of examples. Joel 2, verse 28. And this is, this is the, the passage, or a couple of verses, that's quoted by, by uh, Peter and his great... Uh, discourse before the crowds in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And afterwards I pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So already right back in, in, in the Old Testament, God was prophesying what it was going to look like. Amen. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So it's talking about the promised Holy Spirit. And the promise indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a direct promise of, of God the Father. Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus says this. So again, you can see the, 
you kind of see the your Trinity in operation here. It's Jesus speaking, talking about his Father and talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in, my, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And of course that uh, happens in Acts, Acts 2, as we've mentioned. So it's Jesus again predicting what, what was going to happen. Jesus, Jesus taught this himself. It's, it's, it's post the cross, this was going to be God's plan. Would always be for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16 to 17, where Jesus talks to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, so again, you see the Trinity working together. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Amen. Amen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 16, verse 7, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. This is obviously talking about his ascension. This, this is obviously pre the cross, but pre the cross and the resurrection. But he's talking about the ascension here. Very truly I tell you, it's, good for, you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it's always been God's plan. Amen? It was a promise of the Father, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, had, for, had foretold it. So then after, so after the death, the burial, the resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the Spirit as promised was given or, or poured out. And of course, that's re- re- uh, recorded in Acts 2, and you could read the whole chapter in your own time. Let's look at a couple of verses. Acts 2, verse 2 to 4. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you see the fulfillment of that, what we call Pentecost. Amen. It's been an incredible experience. Amen. Blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they, where, where they were sitting. I wonder what the, the as it was said, it was 120 up in an upper room, kind of what they were making of all this. Because a lot of stuff Jesus predicted... They didn't really get, did they, until it actually happened. It's easy for us in hindsight to look back. And, you know, when Jesus kept saying he was going to be, you know, he's going to be crucified and, and uh, you know, the religious leaders were going were gonna, to were gonna take him away, they didn't really get it. And when he said he was going to rise on the third day, they didn't really get what he meant. And, and probably when, it, when he said about the promise of the Holy Spirit, maybe they didn't really get what he meant either. But here, here it was being fulfilled. And it must have been an incredible, incredible moment. So the Holy Spirit was always God's new covenant plan. Amen. You know, the spirit dwelling in, in, in man-made temples was kind of a temporary old covenant plan. You know, they talk about the presence of God and, and they, they, they built a temple, didn't they? In, in the Old Testament, first it started off as a tabernacle, which was like a, this huge tent that, the Israel, that traveled with the Israelites, didn't they? And it talks about the presence of God and, and Moses would go into the presence of God and, you know, and come out of the presence of God and only certain people were allowed and there was such an incredible place. Only certain people were allowed to go in there. Um, then a physical temple was built, wasn't it, by Solomon? David asked, King David asked to build it, and, and God said it's a destiny for his son Solomon. So Solomon ends up building, building a temple, and it's kind of God's present presence uh, dwells there. And again, there was the Holy of Holies, and only certain people could go in there. And it even says about they had to, that they had to tie a rope around the priest, because if the priest went in there, sometimes the presence of God was so powerful, the person would literally die, fall down and die. And so they had to tie a rope around the person. It sounds a bit <laughs> crazy. We're almost comedic in a, in a morbid way, um, in a kind of like dark comedy sense. And they kind of then had to drag, drag the person out with a rope because they couldn't go into the presence of God because they would have died as well. So they kind of literally had to drag them out. That's what it says. Right? 
so this is what was happening in, in, in the Old Testament. But God's covenant plan, or God's plan for the new covenant, always been that He would dwell within us. We would be the new temple. So it wouldn't be a physical, physical building. Although that God is, you know, we've talked about God being here in His manifest presence this morning. Although we know He's omnipresent and everywhere all at once as well. It's also true. But God doesn't dwell in buildings. Amen. You know, in the Old Testament, there's all about the, the Ark of the Covenant, isn't it? And the Spirit of God dwelt within the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark or read your Bible, which is far more important, <laughs> you'll know about the Spirit of God yeah, dwelling within the Ark of the Covenant, right? That's, that's what would happen. And, and when they took the Ark of the Covenant with them, they, they would have great, the Israelites would have great victories. It was like carrying the presence of God into their battles. And, and often the, other, the, the, the kind of enemies would literally flee, wouldn't they? They heard about it. It was like, oh man, the Ark's coming. And it was an incredible, just an incredibly powerful thing. You have to be very careful. And there's, this, and there's some, some really you know, crazy stories. Some of, the, some of the Old Testament is some of the, you know, um, even some of the Israelites, you know, died because they dared touch the ark and it fell off a cart and they tried to, st- you know the story, but they try and steady the cart and then they died because they touched the presence of God, and which God had forbidden the, you know, uh, strictly forbidden for them to do. So they're kind, of, they're kind of carrying the presence of God around, but God's plan had always been you know, for, for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Okay? We are now the temple of God. Amen? We are now the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your, in your midst? We're now the temple of God. Amen? We're now kind of a, a house for the Holy Spirit to put it in that context. Amen? Where, where we go, the Holy Spirit goes. We know, again, he's omnipresent. And that's kind of all a bit mysterious, because how does that work? He's omnipresent, but we're carrying him. How does that work? And again, you just have to leave that mystery with God, how that all works. Okay, but that is a reality, right? The presence of God goes with us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So kind of a, there was a, a four, four-fold plan, a four-part plan um, in it all. Let's go look at, these, uh, look at these individually quickly. First, so it's to be born of the Spirit, to be sealed by the Spirit, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and find it to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're born again of the Spirit at salvation. John 3, verse 5 to 6. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Amen? So when you become a Christian, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. At that point, you become born again. Like I said, whether Christians describe it in that way or not, all Christians are born again by the Spirit of God. That's just a reality. If they're, tr- if they're true believers, they are born again. Amen? Now, Jesus was laying this out to Nicodemus, and, and Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders but wanted to know more about Jesus, he, he, he sort of asked some interesting questions, which, which, but probably questions that we would have asked. He didn't get it at all. He was like, what do you mean I've got to be born again? I've got to... You can see, I'm not going to go into it too much. It could be graphic, couldn't it? But he basically can't get his head around. He's like, my mum, I came out with my mum. What, what are you saying now? That needs to happen again. What, what, do you, what do you mean? And that's, that's literally what Nicodemus asked. Paraphrasing slightly, but that's basically what he's asking. Because he didn't really, he didn't really get it. So it's Jesus saying, we need to be born of water. So that's talking about natural, talking about natural birth. You know, waters break, don't they? Just before labor, labor happens. So no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born. They exist. They're here, <laughs> natural, exist in, in the natural. But no one can the kingdom of God unless they exist. They're born of water and they're born of the spirit. Amen. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So we're, we're born again of the spirit at salvation. Amen. We're also sealed with the spirit at salvation. Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 1, 13 to 14, Paul writes this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's, a, it's the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It's, 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 it's a reality. It just shows the, the guarantee or the reality of our inheritance of, of, of heaven. Amen? That the Holy Spirit dwells, dwells within us and also it seals all that Jesus has done at salvation, that we're restored and renewed and, and, and made whole. Amen? Praise God, you're still with me? We're very quiet this morning, so I think it's hopefully it's listening intently. I'm sure you are. Praise God. But it's good stuff, isn't it? We need, we need to understand this stuff. And if the Holy Spirit is going to be, do all that he wants to do in our lives and through our lives, we need to get this stuff and have revelation of it. Amen? You know, and that's my heart. You know, any, for any, any preacher, the heart is not to relay information. It's for you to have revelation. Amen? You know, this is not a, this is not a school lesson this morning. Just wanted to give you information, although information is not bad in itself, but ultimately it needs to be revelation. Amen. That's what that's what the word of God does. Praise God. So God had a fourfold plan to be born of the Spirit, to be sealed by the Spirit, thirdly, to be regenerated by the Spirit. Titus three, verse four to six, Titus writes this But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we, we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So the Holy Spirit also renews us. So at salvation, uh, the Holy Spirit is, it comes within us. We're, we're born again. We're, we're sealed. But also we're regenerated. You know, Paul talks a lot about this, doesn't he? About the old has gone and the new has come. You know, I'm not the person that I, I used to be. You know, spiritually, we're made brand new. Amen. That's the whole principle, again, of born again, isn't it? But, but God has regenerated us. You know, spiritually, we've come to life. Before, before we knew God, we, we, we were dead in our sins. That's what scripture says. We, we were dead to sin, but we made, made alive in Christ. That's what it's talking about, right? Spiritually, we, 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 we knew nothing about it. And, and this is the reality where most people are in our world, isn't it? Spiritually, they, they understand that we're body. They understand this. <laughs> and, and, and they understand that we have a soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. But most people are pretty clueless about the fact that, some sort of, that there's a spiritual side and spiritual dimension to who we are. Or... They may have a bit of an understanding of it, or at least just, just, or at least it's just exploring it. This is why people get into all sorts of weird stuff spiritually, isn't it? Because they're, they're trying to find the answer to those questions that we know as believers that Jesus is the only answer to those questions. Amen. That's the reality. But He makes He makes us new. You know, spirit, we, we were dead to sin, but we or dead in our sin, but we've made alive in Christ. Spiritually, we've come to life. Praise God. So we've been sealed, born of the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, regenerated or renewed by the Spirit, and also we're then f- filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5:18 says, "Do not get drunk on wine." That's good advice. That's a message for another day. <laughs> Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to fill yourself with anything, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. That's basically what's, what Paul's saying here. Amen. That's going to empower and, and equip your life, and that's what we'll talk about next week how he leads us, how he empowers us. Amen. Now, the Holy Spirit literally resides within us. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he's not just, so he's not just present. He doesn't just exist there, but the Holy Spirit's desire is to rule and to reign in your life. Amen. I hope that's not a shock to anyone this morning. But that's the Holy Spirit's desire, to rule in your life and, and to reign in your life. I often say, and uh, because I believe it's truth, that's <laughs> what Scripture teaches, you know, the key to being a successful Christian is just about who, who is deciding who's the boss in your life. 
it's actually quite it's actually quite simple. Often we can overcomplicate Christianity. I think sometimes it's actually quite simple. Who's the boss? Because we have our own our own spirit or our mind, our will, and emotions, and they might want to do want to do one thing, and there's the Holy Spirit who dwells within us that may want to do something completely different. And the key to successful Christian living is is subjecting who we are, our own desires, our own needs, and our own wants, and making them subject to the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, Jesus did that over and over again. That's what he did at Gethsemane. That's, he did that over and over and over again. He submitted his own will to, to what the Father and the Holy Spirit were designed to do, desiring to do uh, in his life. And that's the key to successful Christian living. That's the key to, to dealing with temptation in your life. It's like, who is the boss? And we always have to, you know, Paul talks about it. We have to, you know, sacrifice our flesh. Okay, it's not me say killing animals. Okay, it's not talking about that. But sacrifice the natural part of who we are and bring it subject to the Holy Spirit within us. Amen. Because our spirit will always want to do something, something different. Paul, Paul talks about that himself and his frustrations with that. He said, why do I do the things I, I know I shouldn't do? Why don't I do the things that I know I should do? Because that's, that's the battle that goes on. And that goes on in every single Christian believer. So if you're, if you're struggling with a battle in your mind or a battle in your kind of uh, internally, kind of welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Welcome to the Christian life. Jesus had to do it. If Jesus had to submit himself to the spirit, I think we need to do it, right? If Jesus had to do that... Because, of course, he was fully, fully God and fully human. In, fact, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus was tempted in every single way. I take that as read. It's in Scripture that Jesus was, was tempted in all things he could have been tempted by. By, by money, by power, by women. Or, you, you know what I mean? That's, that's what it says. Jesus was tempted in every single way. It's not sacrilegious. This is what the Scripture says. But, but he, dealt, he, he dealt with that at a thought level and, and at that level every single time. And Paul, Apostle Paul talks about taking thoughts captive, doesn't he? And making them obedient, obedient to Christ. And that's what Jesus did over and over and over again. He took those thoughts captive and, and lived a perfect and sinless, sinless life by making what he might want to do in his flesh and in a natural part of who he was, but making it subject to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Does that make sense? But that's a success to a Christian life. Amen? And we all need a revelation. We all need a revelation of that. Praise God. So God's, we've, uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about the will of God, haven't we? And, and how important the will of God is. And we've talked about the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God. And, and there are things that God permits, but they're not necessarily God's perfect plan for our lives. But God's, to talk about God's perfect will, his perfect will for us is that our redeemed lives will be filled with the leading and ability of his Holy Spirit. That we would truly live spirit-filled lives. Not to have a revelation that he lives within us, because that's just true anyway. But that would outwork in our lives. Amen. That it's not just a theology, just, just, just a concept, just some kind of thing out there. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Okay, great. No, but an actual daily experience in our lives as how it works. Amen? You know, the Holy Spirit was given to us to benefit us and to help us. You know, truly living a spiritual life is when you allow him to lead you and to empower you, uh, to benefit you, and, and to help you, to comfort you, and all the things that the Holy Spirit does. So next week... We'll look at more about the Holy Spirit's ministry to us, how he desires to do two things to lead us um, and empower us. No, but the Holy Spirit is amazing. And I'm so thankful for the, for the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit does. So don't go away with, want to just end this morning, don't go away with information this morning. Go away with revelation this morning. That's what God desires to do in you. Revelation of who the Holy Spirit is. Is the Trinity all a bit mysterious and hard to get your head around? Yep. That's the reality. I've been a Christian for since I was eight years old, nearly forty years. Have I got wrapped my head around it? No. But do we need to wrap our head around it? No, either. Got, because if God was fully comprehensible, would He even be God? That's the reality. 
is always going to be beyond our comprehension. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's always going to be a reality. But go away with the revelation and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Where you go, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit goes. And he wants to lead your life. He wants to empower your life. He, he wants to equip your life. He, 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 want, he wants to help you through the challenges of life. He wants to teach you. He wants to lead you. He wants, he wants to guide you. It's all things that the Holy Spirit desires to do. Remember, Jesus said, it's for our... Because sometimes, sometimes we can think as Christians, oh, if only Jesus was here. Well, we know he is here because he's omnipresent. But you know what I mean? So if only Jesus was here on earth and he was like walking beside me and, and, and you know, I was just doing life with him. He was here in, you know, in human form and doing that. But, at, but Jesus said, it's for your benefit that I go away because the Holy Spirit can actually dwell within you. Where you go... That's where the Holy Spirit goes. The presence, the presence of God will always be with you. Amen. Jesus himself promised, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So I want to pray for you. Well, let's just reach out our hands to God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all, all that you are as a Godhead, as God the Father and God the Son and as God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, Lord, specifically as we're looking at this, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do. Lord, we thank, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell inside us. We thank you that you, you've sealed us. Uh, you've renewed us. We've been born again. We've been, we've been filled with the Spirit. Where we go, you go. That we, we, are, we are temples. We've been made holy. You could only live in a holy, holy vessel. We've been made holy through the cross. And we say, Holy Spirit, do what you desire to do in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will lead us. You will guide us. You will empower us. You will equip us. You will, you will change us. You will, you will mold us. You will continue to, 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 to make, us, make us new and make us more, more and more Christ-like. That you will comfort us. That you will just be with us. That you would teach us and guide us. Holy Spirit, do what you desire to do in every single life here this morning. We just bring our lives subject to that spirit. We, we, we bring our own spirits, our, our, kind of our flesh and who we are, and our, our mind, our will, our emotions, our body. And we bring it subject to the Holy Spirit this morning. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. We recognize that you are the boss. You are Lord. And we submit to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.